if, if any of that resonated with you, we highly encourage you to check out Celebrate Recovery. That ministry has been gaining momentum over the last several months. It's been really encouraging to hear about what God has been doing there. And so uh, feel free to reach out to Pastor Art with any questions that you have about that. I just want to reiterate that for us this morning. I also want to say good morning and happy New Year's Eve. Great to see you all here. Uh, for those who don't know, my name is Pastor Jason. I get the opportunity to serve as the adult ministry pastor here at Friendship Church. That means that sometimes I get to open up God's word with you this morning, uh, which I'll get a chance to do today. We are continuing or ending our Advent series. If you've been with us for the last several weeks, it, it was a series called God Is. We've been talking about the attributes of God uh, and, and specifically, attributes of God that can be clearly seen in the sending of his son, uh, Jesus. And so while it's not an exhaustive list of his attributes, uh, here are the attributes that we covered in this series. Uh, God is sovereign. God is holy. He is merciful and just. And if you were with us for Christmas Eve uh, last week, we saw that God is love. Well, this morning we'll end the God is series by talking about the faithfulness of God. God is faithful. And how we can see God's faithfulness most clearly demonstrated in Jesus Christ. And so to help us do that, we are going to dive into the book of 2 Corinthians. So 2 Corinthians chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, if you have devices that will get you there, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 is where we will spend most of our time this morning. So go ahead and make your way over there. As you're doing that, let me just set up this passage for us in, in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians was a letter written to the church in Corinth. The church in Corinth had been planted by the Apostle Paul and some of his co-workers, uh, but it had constantly been riddled with uh, whether it was sinful things that they were engaged in or uh, people that were questioning Paul's authority and kind of undermining his authority and his integrity, uh, not just as a Christian, but also as a, a missionary, as a church planter. And, and so these things are coming under assault for Paul. Paul actually wrote several letters to the church in Corinth, and the Lord uh, in his sovereignty gave us two of those letters, First and Second Corinthians. And uh, in, in those letters, Paul defends the gospel and he addresses some of the issues that are found within the church. And so specifically in this passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul is, uh, his faithfulness is being questioned. And that's a big deal because the, the thinking could go, well, if, if the church planter or if the messenger, the preacher, Paul, if, if he is unfaithful and fickle and untrustworthy, then can we trust his message as well? So it wasn't just that Paul and his integrity was on the line, but the gospel and, and God himself and, and God's attributes were on the line here. What had happened was Paul had previously disclosed plans for a visit to Corinth, but some of the circumstances changed and he didn't make that visit. And so Paul is explaining why he and his message are still trustworthy. And I'm sorry, I'm going to spoil his answer for you before we even read the text so that you know what we're looking for. Spoiler alert here, Paul does not defend himself. He doesn't point to his own faithfulness. He answers this charge of, uh, Paul, you're fickle and, and, and you're, you're not faithful and we can't trust you. He answers that charge by pointing uh, to God's relentless faithfulness. 
And so with that being said, I invite you to stand up as we hear these words uh, from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and we'll be doing verses 18 through 22. The Apostle Paul writes, As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us, and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. The word of the Lord, would you pray with me? Father, this morning we we confess and acknowledge that you are faithful and we praise you and thank you for that faithfulness. May we encounter your faithfulness in Jesus Christ this morning. May it be an anchor for our souls and may it be an encouragement to us. May you be praised and honored and glorified for your relentless faithfulness to your creation and to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I love, love this. See, Paul is writing this, the second letter, and there's a lot of issues that he addresses, a lot of personal attacks that he addresses. And this is chapter one. Paul's integrity and his character are under attack, and specifically under attack because of some tweak in his travel plans. But... Paul's concern is not that he himself is vindicated. He's concerned about God's reputation and God's glory. Because of that, instead of getting a vigorous self-defense from Paul, which he could have done, he could have said, look, I've been faithful to these other churches. I, I, I said I was going to go to Galatia, and I went there. You talk to Timothy. Timothy knows that I'm faithful. Talk to Peter. Peter knows that I'm faithful. What about James? These guys know me, okay? They can vouch for me. Instead of Paul going that route, he, he doesn't vigorously defend himself. He just, he cares about God. What's at stake? Who, who cares about my integrity? Who cares what they think about me? I care what they think about God is Paul's response. I love it. And because of that, we get this beautiful testimony to God's faithfulness where Paul spells out specifically to us, Jesus Christ is God's answer to every single promise that he ever made. And we're going to press into that this morning. In Christ... We encounter the God who is faithful to all of his promises. And through Christ, we get the chance to respond to God's faithfulness with praise. In Christ, we encounter the God who is faithful to all of his promises. And through Christ, we respond to God's faithfulness with praise. And as we talk about God's faithfulness this morning in our response, we're just going to answer five simple questions. Why is God faithful? How faithful is God? What does God's faithfulness look like in Christ? What does that mean for us? And what's our response? So let's dive into that first question about God's faithfulness. Why is God faithful? Well, the short of it is that it's in his very nature. It's who he is. He's, he's faithful. Scripture testifies to his faithfulness time and again. In Numbers 23, 19, for example, Balaam says, 
Has God said, and he will not do it? Or has he spoken, and he will not fulfill it? Meaning, of course he's going to fulfill it. Of course he's going to do it. God's faithful. Deuteronomy 7, 9. It makes it more explicit. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Did you hear that? A thousand generations. The faithful God. Can you, can you imagine a thousand generations? Do you realize how much time that is? A thousand generations? God is faithful. In addition to seeing it in Scripture, as we meditate on who God is, his other attributes almost necessitate that he is faithful. And I'm going to invite you into an exercise uh, of comparison. Why don't we compare ourselves to God to, to see that, yeah, he's, he's probably pretty, pretty faithful compared to us. Because as humans, I don't know about you, but we're not always faithful, and sometimes we break promises. Is it, I've done that before. Has anyone else done that, not, not held up your word for something? Just a few of us? Okay. Why do we break promises? Uh, let's, let's start off easy on ourselves. We break promises because of unforeseen circumstances. So there may be a, a, a huge trip or something planned, and there's a death in the family, and everything, we just drop everything else, and we attend to that. That's an unforeseen circumstance, and that's understandable. A car accident, you know, that may throw my day or my week off. Uh, being sick, you know, I, I, or I, I promise my, uh, I promise the bank I can make mortgage payments on my home, and then I lose my job, and I can't find work, and, and I've got an unforeseen circumstance that makes me break my word. We break promise because our promise was or became impossible to follow through with. I'm really good at these types of things, like overcommitting, uh, wishful thinking, double or even triple booking. Really, actually got, I'm double booked on this Thursday and I need to figure it out so if somebody wants to help, that'd be great. Kind of along that vein is errors that we make. You know, the first time that I... Uh, started working at a church, our church in Chicago. I was uh, going to meet the senior pastor for the first time to talk about what an internship may look like with him. And uh, the meeting was set for Wednesday at like 10 a.m. And on Tuesday at around 10, 15 a.m., I get a text from him like, hey, I'm ready to meet. Where are you? And I was like, oh, well, this is off to a great start with this guy. Great. So we have, we have errors. We, we, we make mistakes. And we break our word. I told him I was going to be at the meeting. I wasn't there. Forgetfulness. We, we say something maybe flippantly or, or we say it and then immediately we forget about it and, and we break our word. I said we'd start off easy, but uh, maybe we can press in a little bit more. Sinfulness. To be quite frank, sometimes I say I'm going to do something and then when it comes time to do it, I just don't want to. It's inconvenient, I'm not interested anymore, and so I'll try to figure out a way to break my word, break my promise. You can see it even further expressed in, in adultery in marriages where we, we break covenant, we, we break faith. There's a ton of reasons why we may be unfaithful, a ton of reasons why we may break promises. I can't think of any reasons for why God may because God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. 
Therefore, there are no unforeseen circumstances that get in the way of his promises. It's not as if he promised something and went, oh, well, ah, didn't know Abraham was going to respond that way. We're going to have to go back to the drawing board. He's omniscient. He's also omnipotent, all-powerful. Nothing can impede his will. If God wants it to be done, it's done. There's no issue of overcommitting. There's no issue of wishful thinking. He can do it. He is pure and perfect. Sometimes we, we say that God is omnibenevolent to say that he is all good. The things that he wills are good. Now take that together. Take the fact that he's all good, combine it with the fact that he is uh, omniscient and omnipotent, all-knowing and all-powerful, so he is able to accomplish his good will. There is nothing about his character that causes ill desires, and there is nothing about his attributes that cause a lack of potency to bring those good desires to fruition. God is faithful. It's his very nature. That's what Paul is saying here in 2 Corinthians. And he's saying more specifically that these attributes of God, his omnipotence, his omniscience, his, his omnibenevolence, these attributes are screaming God's faithfulness in the person of Jesus Christ in what he's done for us. When Jesus went to the cross, God was making good on all of his promises. And, and Christ dying for our sins and rising again to new life is a testimony to God's absolute faithfulness. You see, God worked through the ordinary course of history in his omniscience, in his omnipotence, in his omnibenevolence, knowing every step of the way, he worked to bring Jesus Christ to earth in the precise manner and at the precise time that he did. And, and it, we could consider that history for, for forever. I mean, we, we could spend hours up here considering what God did to bring Jesus to earth. But if we consider just a little snippet of it, we, we may see and begin to answer our second question, which is how faithful is God? There are a lot of broken promises. There's a lot of breaking of faith in the history of the world. And there's a lot of breaking of faith in the history of God's people. I mean... Moses is up on the mountain receiving instruction from the Lord. And in the time that he goes up to the time that he comes down, somehow, under Aaron's direction, it wasn't him, obviously, he said, but somehow this golden calf just came out of the fire. And God's people are that quick to break faith with him. We are that quick to break faith with God. Yet despite us, God is faithful when we consider our history, we can see how faithful God is. He uses the likes of, of these people listed above. And this is just a sampling. But this is an important sampling because all of these, all of them, all of these people are in Jesus' line. Start off right away in history. The first family that consisted of brother killing brother with Cain and Abel. Noah then has a little story of some indecency with his sons. Abraham doesn't believe God, lies about who his wife is, lies about who his wife is, does it again because it worked the first time. Sarah laughs at God's plan. Okay, God, a little too old for that. Isaac Picked up the family trade. 
lied about his wife. We get to Jacob. This cracks me up. It gets me. Jacob's this little trickster. We know that. You guys know that about Jacob? He's this, this little guy. He's, he, finally, what he had done came back on his head, and uh, he has to flee. Okay, so he got in trouble for tricking and lying and deceiving and manipulating. He flees. He finds Uncle Laban. He tells Uncle Laban his story. Presumably, the story he tells Uncle Laban was how he tricked and deceived and got himself into this situation. Do you know Uncle Laban's response? We are cut from the same cloth. Truly, you are kin with me. That should have been a red flag for Jacob. Anyways, this family is known for deception. This family is known for cheating. This is the line of Jesus. Joseph's brothers sell him into slavery. Judah engages in indecency with his daughter-in-law. And, and did you know it? That's how Perez is conceived. Perez is the one who carries the line down to Jesus. Moses, who was a murderer and repeatedly asks God, hey, use somebody else. Don't use me. Fast forward a little bit. We see the dysfunction in King David's family. Uh, he's got some weird things going on with his kids, but also he's got that fling with Bathsheba. But God is all good. God is all powerful, so his will is good, and it won't be thwarted even by the long list of sins that should move God to wrath and punishment. You want to see God's faithfulness despite our efforts to thwart his goodness? Read the book of Judges. It's about to get PG-13 in here if you do that. God would be just in breaking covenant with us for all of the failure, for all of the rebellion, for saying these people don't appreciate me, these people outright reject me, these people slander me, these people do the exact opposite uh, that I tell them to do time and time and time and time and time and time and time again. But he doesn't because God is faithful despite our commitment in our sin to bring him to anger and wrath, God is faithful. I've been living in Minnesota for a little over a year now, and I've learned some things. Well, one thing I've learned. The Chicago Bears and the Minnesota Vikings have a lot in common. <laughs> I think the major thread that ties them together is often they thwart themselves. They seemingly want to win, but when they're on the field, they can't seem to get out of their own way. Not so with God. Despite humanities, and if we're honest, our own hearts' attempts to seemingly thwart God's goodwill, to seemingly reject God, his faithfulness will not allow us to impede on his goodwill to bring salvation to those who know Jesus and to undo the curse of sin. God is faithful. There were kings who replaced worship of Yahweh with worship of idols. God takes it all and he works it according to his good plan. All the promises of God, despite everything that we tried to do, are yes in Christ Jesus. When we look at Jesus and see where he came from, from Abraham's line 
from Jacob's line, that cheat, from Judah, the adulterer, from Rahab, the prostitute, from David, the murderer, from Ahab, the Baal worshiper, the, the, the husband of Jezebel. When we consider every step humankind has taken to get in God's way and then see Jesus on the cross, God is faithful. That's just how faithful he is. That's the extent of God's faithfulness. In a very small microscopic level, I think of the movie Coach Carter where this gentleman shows up to a high school basketball team and they reject him. They, I mean, they hate him. They don't respect him. He could have just left. It was, and he sticks with it. He was faithful to them despite all of their rejection and mocking, despite how difficult it was. And that's just a small sliver of what it means for God to be faithful to us and faithful to humankind in our sin and in our rebellion. God is faithful. That is how faithful he is. And then Paul takes these two questions of uh, why is God faithful, because uh, it's in his nature, and how faithful is God, of, of really how faithful he is, and he brings them together in 2 Timothy 2.13 when Paul says, even when we are faithless, he remains faithful. So that's how faithful God is, because it's in his nature, Paul goes on. He remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. God is faithful. And in Christ, we encounter the God who is faithful to all of his promises. And through Christ, we respond to God's faithfulness with praise. And that brings us to our third question as we've somewhat started to answer it. What does God's faithfulness look like in Christ? If we were to say that he's the yes to all of God's promises, what does that mean? He is the yes. He is the mediator of every promise of God. He is the embodiment of God's relentless faithfulness through all of history. So back in 2 Corinthians 1 where we started, there at the end of verse 19, you can look there. Paul emphasizes this. He points this out. He explicitly says uh, at the end of 19 into verse 20, in Christ, it is always yes, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. He is the fulfillment of everything that God has promised. He is God's answer to restore humankind back to relationship with him and so bring God glory. He is the culmination of these promises. He is the apex. He is the telos. He is the end. He is the purpose. Jesus tells us this very thing at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. He goes on to say, they will be fulfilled to an iota, to, to the smallest little smidgen you can think of. It, it is fulfilled in me. And, and Paul here in verse 19, where he says that, that Christ, when he was here, and when we proclaimed Christ, it was never yes and no. It was always yes. His whole point is that, that Christ did not oscillate between, well, there's some of the Mosaic law that I didn't come to fulfill because God's done with that. Uh, but there's other stuff that I came to fulfill. It was always I came to fulfill it. Why? Because God is faithful because what he said will stand. What he said is always true. With Christ, it is always, always, always Yes, there is no questioning. Is there a part of God's plan that he's going to undo? Is there a part of God's promises that he's no longer holding to? There is never that. It was always yes in Christ. It always is yes in Christ. God is faithful to fulfill his promises. 
It's the right response. Why don't we think about these promises? I'll summarize and generalize these promises briefly as we consider just a few of the major ones that God made. Did you know you can find the gospel in Genesis as early as Genesis 3? Probably Genesis 1, but Genesis 3.15 is a pretty explicit example of the gospel. In the Garden of Eden, after humankind had rejected God, God didn't miss a beat when we rebelled. We created a hell-sized rift between God and man in the same breath that God gives sin, it's just punishment. He promises Eve that one of her descendants would crush the head of the serpent that deceived her. Hmm. He will crush your head, you will bruise his heel. I wonder who that was. He promised Abraham that he would bless his progeny and in so doing, bless the entire world through him. He promised King David that his son would reign forever. Christ is the fulfillment of all of those promises and more. He is the serpent crusher who undoes the curse. He exposes the lies of Satan. He brings us back to the kingdom of God. He is the promised seed of Abraham that has blessed the whole world in making salvation available to anybody who calls upon the name of the Lord. He is the promised son of David whose kingdom and reign will never end and who will rule with justice and lead God's people into eternal joy and peace and rest in the very presence of the God of the universe. Jesus is the yes to all of God's promises. That's what it means. Just like the beginning of verse 20 says, All the promises of God find their yes in him. But it's even more than that. In the very next sentence, in the next part of verse 20, we see that Jesus is the mediator of God and his promises to humankind. So not only is Jesus this, this concept out there that yes, God is, God is faithful and you can see that faithfulness from a distance in Christ Jesus, no, he, we respond to that. It's responsive. It, Jesus is now our mediator, the one through whom we can respond to God and praise him and worship him the way that we were designed to do. Christ's faithfulness to us as mediator and fulfiller of God's promises elicits the reciprocal effect that, that we worship God through Christ Jesus. If all the promises of God are realized in Christ Jesus, then all the praises due to God are are brought through Christ Jesus. That's why in the New Testament you so often see talking about praising Christ Jesus because he's the mediator who is the yes to all of God's promises to us and he's the mediator who is the amen that we say back to the Lord in praise to him. That spills into our fourth question. What does that mean for us? That Christ is the yes to all of God's promises. Paul continues in verse 21. If you turn your eyes there, you can see what he says. Um, and I may offer just a, a slightly more literal translation to bring out uh, the, the meaning for us. Paul says, The one who establishes us and, and yourselves in our union with Christ and also anoints us to, to divine service, that very one is God himself. 
Now, the language that Paul uses here in going into verse 22 was kind of language of the market, this word establish, the one who establishes us. In the market, you established a trade with somebody. And so you said, I've got this good. I'm going to sell it to you at this price. Boom. It's been established. I'm not going to leverage this agreement that we have to try and get somebody to pay more for this good. You told me you'd pay it for this price. It's been established. It's guaranteed. It's secure. It's this language of faithfulness that I'm not going back on my word. If we, if we go on into verse 22, we see more language like deposit, guarantee, down payment, collateral. It's fitting language when talking about God's faithfulness because it's language that communicates security. Isn't that what faithfulness communicates to us? When Christ says he didn't come to abolish the law but fulfill everything that God promised, doesn't that communicate security to us? That God will not go back on his word and he will go to the lengths of sending his own son to die for us. That is how faithful he is and that is how secure our salvation is. That is how secure our identity in Christ is. What does that mean for us? That we have assurance as children of God. God himself has initiated this establishing. God himself has initiated this binding. That's what Paul says. He himself is the one who has established it, not us. Binding of himself to us. God is continually keeping us established in, uh, to our, in our union to Christ. That's the, the, that, that's the verb there. It's, it's a present progressive that God is continually establishing us and keeping us secure. Listen, if you know Jesus this morning, don't believe the lie that now that you put your faith in him, it's up to you to continue on in that faith. Yeah, we got to fight for our faith. Yeah, we need to fight sin with the weapons that God has given us. But God is faithful. It's not up to you. Thank God it's not up to you. Thank God it's not up to me. I don't want to say thank God it's not up to you. But I will say that. Thank God it's not up to you either. God is faithful. He's the one who continually establishes us in our faith. He's the one who keeps us in our faith. He's the one who is faithful when our heart starts to wander. He's the one who is faithful when the flesh looks really enticing. He's the one who is faithful when I can't break that habit. He's the one who is faithful. He establishes us. It is him who does it. Meditating on verse 21, a commentator named Murray Harris said, Both believers' faith in Christ and their faithfulness to Christ are continuously confirmed and strengthened by God. It's his work. This morning, if you know Jesus, you are secure. You may be dealing with a temptation, maybe dealing with a sin, there may be conflict in your life. This is not a free pass to not address that. But it is a, a measure of assurance the God who called you, the God who gave you the gift of faith is faithful. That's what Christ being yes to all of God's promises means to us. God's faithfulness towards us in Christ translates into assurance and security in the here and now. He is faithful to call us into union with Christ and faithful to keep us established in that faith.
Paul goes on and says that he anoints us into divine service. Anoints, meaning sets apart for God's purposes. We are set apart for God's purposes, essentially saying that God transforms us and then sets us apart for serving in the kingdom. That's what we were designed to do, to bring glory to God. So serving in the kingdom is a result of the transformation that's available in Christ. And Christ is available because of the faithfulness of God. And so because God is faithful, we can live out a purpose that God designed us to live out. Because God is faithful, we are anointed and set apart to do God's good, redemptive, restorative work in the here and now. And like I said, that language of assurance continues into verse 22. He has put his seal on us, marking us as his. He's given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee this is the natural implication of God's faithfulness, security, stability, assurance. It's not going anywhere. Uh, for, for a season of time, I worked at a local gym back in the Chicagoland area. And uh, I would just be at the front desk greeting people and helping them out. Now, members could go in and use their cards to get into lockers. And sometimes if they forgot their cards, uh, we would give them a, you know, a, a dummy card that uh, wasn't tied to a membership, but it got them into the locker room still. Well, we didn't want to lose those cards. And so uh, we asked them to give us their car key. Uh, because when they go to leave the gym, pretty difficult to get home if you don't have your car key. That was great. I, we never lost a card. Because we got this token of, we know that we're getting that card back. How much more so when we receive the Holy Spirit? Is he a token of, we know that God is faithful and we know that he will keep us. That is what Paul is saying. He has given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. There is no fear of being plucked away. There is no fear of the storms of life. There is no fear of the world around us. No fear of the future. No fear of death. No guilt in life. That is the power of Christ in me. No fear of our own sinful desires. No fear of man. This doesn't mean we won't experience trials, pain, tribulation, persecution, loss, anxiety. It does mean whatever may befall us, whatever comes our way, God is faithful. We have a tangible reminder and embodiment of God's faithfulness and the Holy Spirit alive in us. And so we come to our response to God's faithfulness. In Christ, we've seen, we encounter the God who is faithful to all of his promises. And here, finally, we see our response that through Christ, we respond to God's faithfulness with, with a praise, with our amen of praise. We respond to God's miraculous, faithful love with our amen through Jesus. When we say amen, we mean truly. We mean indeed. We mean verily. Interestingly, the, the Hebrew word group from which it comes from is, is tied to this idea of faithfulness. We say, yeah, this is true. What God has said is true. What Christ has done is true. God's love for us is true. Our sin is very real. Amen. Yes, God, you're right. Amen. That's our response. That's it. And when we learn to respond to God by saying amen, no matter what comes our way, we begin to praise him in all that we do. Respond to God's miraculous, faithful love with our amen through Jesus. Look at what God has done, what he has accomplished on your behalf, and praise him for it. How do we respond 
to, to Christ being the yes to all of our promise? How do we respond to the faithful God? We say amen with our words and with our works. We say amen with our language and with our life. God is the promiser and the fulfiller. We are the beneficiaries. We've added nothing to this. God promised. We broke those promises time and again. God fulfilled, and we still benefit from it. God's the promiser and the fulfiller. We're the beneficiaries. Let me hear the response. Amen. Amen. Christ fulfilled God's promises to bring us back into the fullness of joy of God's promise. Amen. Amen. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. One final thing about this. Paul says it right at the end of verse 20 there. We utter our amen to God for his glory. I'm going to invite the worship team to come out as we consider responding to God by glorifying him. We're the beneficiaries of what God has done. We are fully assured but church, let me remind us gently this morning that this story is not about us. Yes, we are the beneficiaries. Yes, God is faithful to us, even us. But this is a story about God and his glory. And so as we utter our amen with our words and with the things that we do, as we utter our amen, let that amen in response to God's faithful love Scream the glory of God. I mean, that is what Christ's death and resurrection did. And if we're united with him, that's our response as well. To say, amen, that's what you did, God. That's what you are doing in my life. And now to your glory, I'm going to agree with that and see what you do in my life. Church, let your amen scream the glory of God because God is faithful. And we remember that faithfulness and we get to participate in that faithfulness at the Lord's table. We're going to transition into a time of communion. When we reflect on the lengths that God went to bring redemption to the cosmos and redemption to us. We see God's faithfulness at the Lord's table. We see it screaming God's faithfulness that Jesus Christ, while we were still sinners, died for us because God is faithful. If you have received that gift of new life from Christ, you are welcome at his table. If, if you have not received the faithful love of God, we'd love to talk with you afterwards to share about how you can know Jesus and how you can know the faithful love of God and respond to him with, with praise the way that we were designed to. And so as you reflect on God's faithfulness and glorify him in your heart and in your words and in your works, I invite you as we sing this song in response to make your way when you're ready to the tables, receive the communion elements, and I'll be back up to help us remember the Lord and God's faithfulness in Christ as we take those together.